everyone. Welcome to the Dig Deep Podcast. My name is Jess, and I'm so glad that you're here today. Today, we are starting a little two-part series that we are calling Beauty for Ashes. And we're doing this, um, especially this week's episode, to prepare our hearts for Easter this weekend. And I hope that you're getting excited about Easter. I hope you enjoy Easter as much as I do. It's just an incredible time to celebrate with others in church and with friends and family and eat a lot of good food. And I'm really looking forward to it. This particular Easter has been unique for me. And a big part of that is several weeks ago, a good friend of ours invited us to attend an Ash Wednesday service. And I grew up in a great, healthy church, but we didn't celebrate Ash Wednesday in my church growing up. Um, I had friends who celebrated it, so I was loosely familiar with it, but I had never celebrated it personally. And so we went to this service, my husband and I, and it was an awesome experience. And I, I learned more about the real meaning of the ashes that they place on your forehead. And if you're familiar with the holiday, then you know that the ashes represent our mortality and that Lent, the season that leads from Ash Wednesday through Easter, is a time to focus on our mortality, our, our brokenness, to prepare our hearts to celebrate Easter. And so this season of preparation for Easter has been really uniquely rich for me because of that experience. And I feel like everywhere I've looked, I, I really, the imagery of ashes has been really poignant to me and, and sticking out in a lot of things. And probably one of the weirdest examples of this is when my husband and I were driving through another state recently, and we saw this huge billboard that was advertising something that I have never seen advertised before. And in big, bold letters on a very plain billboard, it was advertising simple cremations, $650. And then there was a phone number. And I I felt kind of bad, but my Friday night lights snuck out and I just said, come on now, y'all, I don't get it. I was so confused. I turned to my husband. I was like, what do you suppose a simple cremation is? I mean, what? I've never even heard of that. And he said, well, why don't you just call the number and ask them what's the difference between a simple cremation and a regular cremation? And of course I didn't do that. I just punched him in the arm instead. But there's something about it that just didn't sit well with me. And so I started to ask myself, why? why? Why doesn't it sit well with me that these people are advertising simple cremations? And I realized that at the, at the core of it was this sense that grief shouldn't be taken lightly, that that's not what we were meant for, and that grief maybe even has a beauty to it and a power to it that can lead to healing. And see, ashes in the Bible were often representative of grief. You know, we see Job in the Bible sitting in ashes. We see different people in the Bible putting ashes on their head when they're grieving or mourning. David, when he was so overcome with grief, said it was as though he was eating ash. And so we see it as this symbol of grief. And so as I've been preparing for Easter this season, I just want to share a little bit of that with you and encourage you to focus over these next few days as we prepare to celebrate on our mortality and the hope that we have for more than that in Jesus. So our title for this series comes from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, which says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning. 
And so over these two weeks, we're actually going to address two different types of grief. Next week, we're going to look at the things that we grieve that are simply the consequences of us living in a broken world. So these are the things like the painful diagnosis or the bad news or hearing the words, you will never have children, things like standing at the grave of a loved one. These are the things that are just symptoms of this broken world that we live in. And I am excited and honored to interview two of two dear friends of mine who have a story of the grief that they've experienced in the consequences of this world and this life, but also the incredible beauty that God has made out of it. So I'm really looking forward to that. So next week, we are going to talk about the grief that we experience because the world is broken. Today, I want to talk about the grief we experience because we are broken. So as we prepare to celebrate this coming weekend, the God who defeats death the God who can make beautiful things out of ashes, we're going to look closer at maybe a strange part of the Easter story that actually focuses on how two individuals grieve, specifically how they grieve Jesus's death while they await his resurrection. So if you are listening and you're, you're not familiar with the Easter story, Jesus, the Son of God, lived a perfect life, but... He was arrested, wrongfully convicted, sentenced to death, tortured, and then crucified on a cross. And once he has died, this is where we pick up in the story in John chapter 19, starting in verse 38. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. Both of these men, it's important to point out, were Jewish religious leaders and members of the high council. We're told that Joseph here, it says right in the passage, he was a secret follower of Jesus. And Nicodemus, you may remember from John chapter 3, the famous chapter that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Those are Jesus' words to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus had sought Jesus out at night in secret. And we get the impression that both of these men, although they were prominent Jewish leaders in their community, were secret followers of Jesus. But in this act, they step out of that secrecy and affiliate themselves with Jesus by asking if they can prepare his body. And in John chapter 12, we're told that among the people that followed him, there were several Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it, it says in John 12, because they were afraid the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. So here we find these two unlikely men, members of the Jewish high council, stepping forward to give Jesus a proper Jewish burial. And that's what they do. In verse 39, Nicodemus brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And that's not traditional for just any Jewish birth. That would have been reserved for someone who was wealthy or even a king's birth. Verse 40, following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. 
The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And this final sentence might not strike us too deeply in our modern context, but there is so much significance to the timing of these events. See, Jesus was crucified on the Friday leading into the Sabbath, but not just any Sabbath, the Passover celebration. And to give you some context on what Passover was celebrating, if you're not familiar, in Jewish history, there was a time where they were enslaved by Egypt. And God told Moses, you are going to lead my people to freedom from Egypt. And so Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God says, you need to let my people go. Pharaoh, of course, resisted. And so God sent several plagues. The last plague that he sent was the plague of the firstborn son. The plague of the firstborn. And God was saying in this, I am going to kill the firstborn in every family. But he said to his people through Moses, the angel of death will pass over your home if by your faith you demonstrate that you trust me and you take a lamb sacrifice it, and with its blood you paint the doorposts of your home. And if you do that, then I will see your faith. I will pass over your home. And so that's what the Jewish people do. That's what the Israelites do. And their homes are passed over. Egypt grieves and releases them, and they start their journey toward freedom. And so from that point on, the Jewish people had celebrated the Passover So Jesus was sacrificed, and it was no coincidence that he was killed leading into the Passover celebration. And one of the things we have to note about these two men here who are burying Jesus is that for a Jewish person to touch a dead body would have made them unclean. And if you were considered unclean, then it meant you couldn't go to the synagogue to worship You couldn't participate in some of the religious festivals and feasts. And so by these men touching Jesus' dead body, they have given up their right to celebrate with their peers the way that they had their whole lives. One of the things that's important to focus on, too, about this Passover celebration is that at the center of the Passover celebration, was the sacrificing of a lamb. And this lamb needed to be free of impurity and it couldn't have any of its bones broken. And so, again, it's no coincidence that when the guards came to break the legs of the three men on the cross, including Jesus, God stopped the hand of the Roman soldier who was about to break Jesus' legs. And when he realized he had already passed away, he instead opted to just stab him with a spear which fulfilled that prophecy and kept it so that Jesus's bones were not broken. And so these men who are burying Jesus are acknowledging all of our peers are out sacrificing a lamb and preparing themselves and their families for a feast. But we are going to disqualify ourselves from that, from that feast, from that celebration because we know that a better feast is coming. We 
see that all of those signs from the past point to Jesus being the true Lamb of God. That's why John the Baptist declared in John chapter 1, verse 29, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus understood there's no need for us to sacrifice a lamb. There's no need for us to remain clean so we can partake in the feast. The fulfillment of that foreshadowing is here, and his name is Jesus, and he has just given up his life for us. And so instead, they chose to grieve him. They grieved him thoroughly and properly. This was the opposite of a simple cremation. They grieved him well, but they grieved with hope. See, they gave up their feast in exchange for a fast because they knew that a better feast was coming in the celebration of Jesus's defeat of death on Easter. And so my hope for you and I is that as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the greatest event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus, that you'll join me in preparing our hearts by truly grieving his death in preparation for celebrating his resurrection. See, the great news is Isaiah 61 that says that he gives beauty for ashes isn't just part of the Old Testament. It isn't just a story that was for a specific people about a specific situation. This is the passage that Jesus quotes in Luke chapter 4 as he is formally beginning his ministry. He quotes this scripture and he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He's sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. That's the scripture that Jesus quotes. And then he says, I have come to fulfill it. This scripture is about me. And so whether you celebrate Ash Wednesday or you fast during Lent or neither, I would encourage you to fast in preparation for this weekend. And if you've never fasted before, it simply means giving up something, most traditionally food, and using that sacrifice to focus your heart on God. It's not just about fasting for fasting's sake. In Joel chapter 2, God says through the prophet Joel, Turn to me now while there's still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. So that's your try it today. Go weep and fast and mourn and be the Debbie Downer in every room you go in for the next four days. No, that's not where the passage ends. God says, don't tear your clothing in grief but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. And that is the good news of Easter, is that God is eager to relent and not punish. He is so eager to forgive that he sent his only son to die the death that you and I deserve to offer us eternal life so that when our bodies turn to ash, we can be with him forever and experience the beauty of his presence fully. And there are things in your life that now that he is eager to heal, things that are dead, 
that are just walking around your life like zombies, ruining it. And God wants to put those things in the grave so that he can bring forth new life in their place. So these are things like the bad habit that maybe some people would call an addiction. You call it a habit. You know that it's quietly and slowly ruining certain aspects of your life, but you've put it on the back burner and ignored it and said it's not a big deal. This is things like the anger that you can't seem to really let go of, even though you know that it's hurting you more than it's hurting the person that you're angry with. These are things like your old ways of thinking or behaving that creep back up and damage your relationships and seem to put you in a cycle that you can't get out of. And I'm guessing that you already know what it is for you. That God's already brought it to the forefront of your mind. And if not, I want to encourage you to just pause the podcast right now and take a minute to ask God what it is. What is the thing in your life that's dead and should be truly put in the grave and buried and grieved so that God can bring forth new life in you? So if that's what you need to do, go ahead and pause it right now. You can come back and join us in a second. The final step in the grieving burial process for Joseph and Nicodemus is that they place Jesus in a garden tomb. And I don't think it's a coincidence that at the end of our passage in Isaiah 61, the end of verse 3, says, In their righteousness they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. It's no coincidence that Jesus was buried in a garden and that he was laid in the ground in the spring. And it's no coincidence that the passage that Jesus quoted on his first day of ministry tells us that we weren't meant for ashes, that he has beauty that he wants to give us, both now and for eternity. And a broken heart is like broken up fertile ground for God to work and plant seeds and bring forth new life. If we invite him in, tear our hearts open and let him be our Lord and our leader. That's who he is. That's what Jesus is all about. He's in the business of taking our ashes, and giving us a crown of beauty in its place. So your real, try it today, is to consider a way that you can fast sometime between now and Easter Sunday. And use that time to let God Kill off things in your life that he wants to kill off. Because he made you for something better than that. And he wants to give you life. Real life. And not just for eternity, but for now. 
And so you can choose to fast in any number of ways. You could skip a certain meal every day this week, or you could fast for uh, from food for a whole day. You may want to unplug from TV and social media and movies and, and, and focus your heart on the Lord these next few days. But remember that God is not pleased by fasting for fasting's sake. He wants your heart. He wants us in a healthy way to grieve our sin, to grieve our weakness, and then to look to him for the hope that makes all things new. Because he wants to give you freedom. He's eager to relent and save you. He wants to give you life. He wants to take your ashes, your brokenness, and give you a crown of beauty that'll be a picture to the world around you of just what Jesus is capable of. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 reminds us that we don't grieve like people who don't have hope. We grieve with hope. And our hope is founded in our celebration of Easter because we serve a God who defeated death and offers us life both now and for eternity. So I hope that as you celebrate Easter this weekend that you are able to fully appreciate and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus in in a new and incredible way. And that as you prepare your heart for that, that this process of fasting brings things to the surface, areas of your life where God doesn't want you to settle for the status quo anymore, doesn't want you to let that dead thing roam around anymore, but he wants to replace it with something beautiful. He wants to give you life. And I do hope that you'll come back next week as I interview my friends Josh and Jen Smith, who just have an incredible story of being handed circumstances that led them to grieve, but then now being able to step back and celebrate the beauty of what God has done in and through their lives and their family. So I hope that you'll join us for that next week. Have an incredible Easter, and we'll see you next week. 